All right, what a great time to be together. Welcome everybody here in the room. Welcome everybody joining us. Joy Church Online, so good to be with you guys together, worshiping the Lord. What a great time in the presence of God. Such a great season of life. How many of you are transitioning into uh, Christmas mode? Starting to feel a little Christmassy? Start humming Christmas carols, anybody? Anybody? I wanted to just, you know, really give honor where honor is due and just congratulate the Washington Huskies for going one and one in the Pac-12 North and winning that championship. It's amazing their, their level of competitiveness just to win. So I just want to honor them. Uh, just kidding. <clears throat> can't even do it. I can't even do it. <laughs> Go Ducks. All right. Anyways, uh, so good to be with you guys today. As you know, we've been in a series for one week, so not a long series, a short one, leading up to Christmas called Unlikely. And uh, have you ever had anything happen in your life where you're like, man, this actually happened, it happened to me, but it's totally unlikely. Like, nobody's going to believe this. This does not happen all the time. Anybody? That kind of stuff happen? We actually, I'm going to tell you a story today about a guy that hit uh, three hole in, holes in one. Is that how you say it? It's kind of like coals de sac, right? Holes in one, is that how you say it? In golf. And I asked the church, I said, who has had a hole in one here? And two people raised their hands in the whole room on first service, and they were sitting right next to each other. That's unlikely. We had an unlikely situation at our house yesterday. Uh, it started with me doing dishes, which is highly unlikely. <laughs> Don't cheer for me, uh, please. No, hold your applause. No, seriously, hold it. Okay. Okay, you can do it. No, I'm kidding. But I was doing the dishes, and I had, you know, suds and all that. You know, it was kind of like Cinderella, evil stepmother made me do it. And, you know, I was doing it, just kidding. But I was, I was doing, doing that, and uh, the, Bethany was on the couch in the living room, and we had the Christmas tree. It was this nice, you know, domestic atmosphere. And the kids were doing something at the table. Well, Bethany had this jar of, or a vase of flowers, you know, with water in it. And one of the kids knocked it over, so there was this water spill. So they're screaming, ah! You know, kids just, they don't have, like, good emergency response. You know what I mean? They just don't. Neither do I, but uh, we had a tree fall in our house one Christmas and we just all huddled together and ran in circles. <laughs> and you always think like, I would be co cool and calm under pressure. No, you, you, you don't know how you're going to react. So the kids are, are upset. They're going crazy. I hear this whole thing going on. Bethany's like, get it, get it, get it. So I don't know what's going on. And she thought water was spilling on iPads and computers and papers and whatever. You know, we keep all of our important documents on the kitchen table, social security cards, passports, <laughs> bank statements. And uh, anyways, so she, she I, I come, I spill water. I'm like spilling water, running in there, trying to grab a towel. Uh, I see Bethany run past and all of a sudden she goes completely horizontal. So I see her throw her arms back because she slipped on Penny's jacket that had just been judiciously placed on where it goes on the kitchen floor or on the <laughs> dining room floor. Uh, and uh, she, she goes totally horizontal. It was actually a very elegant and graceful fall, to be honest. And she slid, you know, but hit her arm and fell. Water spilling everywhere. The kids are going crazy. That doesn't happen every day, but it, it did happen yesterday. Unlikely, right? You ever have unlikely stuff happen to you? And as we started talking about last week, Christmas is a highly unlikely story. Like the way that God decided to invade this planet, the way that he decided to bring a response to the fallen world. He didn't do it in the way that maybe you or I would think about doing it. He did it in an unlikely way. And the reason why is because God delights in the dramatic. God loves to work through unlikely people in unlikely places, right? In unlikely ways to achieve unlikely purposes. God works in this way because when he works through our weaknesses and through the unlikeliness of our 
human effort, he gets the glory. If we do it in our own strength, we get the glory, right? So I want to share a couple of unlikely stories with you today. I already gave away the punchline a little bit of this first one, but please forgive me, and uh, uh, I owe you fudge or something. Um, There was a man, well, let me read it this way. So how many of you enjoy golf? Raise your hand. What's wrong with you? You knew that was coming, didn't you? Yeah, you were ready for it. You were pre-laughing. I appreciate that. It's like pre-loading the laugh. That's great. I hate golf. Uh, it's the worst thing ever. It's very frustrating. But there are crazy people like Chase who raised his hand. Thank you, Chase, for being the example today, who actually enjoy this demonic sport. Um, and as you know, the rarest of all things is the, the hole-in-one, right? One shot, you get the hole-in-one. I just want to get the ball in the hole, and hole-in-ten is, like, great for me. Uh, and and I, I stopped playing golf because it, it brings out the worst in me, let's be honest. But even professional golfers struggle to get a hole-in-one. I mean, that's not something that just happens, right? Um, but in 2015, there was an amateur golfer named Patrick Wills, or his name is Patrick Wills, and he actually hit three holes-in-one in one round of golf on hole 7, 10, and 14, went 14 under par, and claimed overall victory. The, the chances of this happening were calculated for an amateur golfer of his level, that it was a 5,000 to one chance, but putting his odds of getting three in a single round at over one in one trillion. That's a lot, right? That's a big number. When asked about his round, Patrick said, it is one of those surreal experiences. Everything was moving in slow motion and I was trying to take it all in. Yes, that's amazing. Completely unlikely, but it actually happened. Let me give you another one. Anybody ever hear the actress uh, and comedian uh, Gracie Allen? Is that familiar to anybody? Okay. So uh, one time, uh, somebody decided to give her a gag gift, and so they gave her a live alligator. <laughs> With friends like these, who needs enemies, right? Like, <laughs> please don't give us a live alligator for Christmas, if you were thinking about it. But it was just a small alligator, so it's okay, right? A small alligator as a gag gift. Well, she didn't know what to do with it, and she had to go and go to an appointment, so she ended up just putting it in her bathtub, right? Which I think is a reasonable response. Puts it in her bathtub leaves for an appointment. When she got home, she found the following note from her maid. Dear Mrs. Al- Dear Miss Allen, sorry, but I have to quit. I don't work in houses where there is an alligator. <laughs> I'd have told you this when you hired me, but I never thought it would come up. <laughs> hey, we're really glad to have you on. Uh, Mary, you know, working for us here at the house. And uh, just a heads up, there's live alligators from time to time. But I feel like that's what life is like in Florida, right? Just, oh yeah, there was a gator in my tub, but I took care of it. There is actually a video going around online right now of a guy smoking a cigar. Who, who, his dog gets attacked by an alligator. Have you seen this? He doesn't even lose the cigar, man. Like that's respect right there. That's a real man, you know, and, and wrestles the dog from the gator. Anyways, very unlikely, but it happened. Okay, one more. You want one more? So this is a shocking tale, right? Shenandoah National Park Ranger Roy Sullivan holds the Guinness World Record for being struck by lightning more times than any other person. Now, when I was a kid, I wanted to be in the Guinness Book of World Records for something. Not this, right? Not this. Seven times. Okay. In the time between 1942 and 1977, Roy was hit by lightning on seven separate occasions and survived them all, gaining the nickname of the Human Lightning Rod. I want a cool nickname. I don't want to be known for that, right? Not that. Roy soon started to believe that an otherworldly force was out to destroy him and developed a major fear of death, which I find to be completely rational, right? Reasonable. He might have had a point. 
On June 5th, 1976, he was struck for the sixth time after trying to outrun a storm, catch this, that he said was chasing him. (laughs) How do you know it wasn't? You know what they say, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not chasing you, right? According to statistics, the odds of being hit by lightning once in your lifetime are 10,000 to 1, which to me is too high. How many of you are like, I want it to be a little higher? Making the odds of being hit seven times an unfathomable 1 to the 1,028th power, it's 1 followed by 28 zeros is your odds of being hit seven times. Now, if that's not crazy enough, it, there's more. This is like an infomercial, right? Ron Popeil. But wait, there's more. There's more to this. Even more unlikely, in 1977, when Roy was struck for the seventh time in his life, seven times a charm, right? While fishing, he suffered burns on his chest and stomach and then had to fight off a bear <laughs> that was trying to steal the trout off his fishing line. Some people have all the fun, huh? <clears throat> I, I actually get it, right? I've been struck by lightning seven times, and you're not going to get this fish. Like, I am going to have this fish if I have nothing else in life. Heaven has turned against me. Earth has turned against me. I will have this fish, and I will die. You know, <laughs> it's like the very last thing. God delights in the dramatic. You know, as we laugh about unlikely stories, unlikely events, things that you go, man, that should not have happened. That is so unlikely. It actually helps us get a perspective on the way Christmas works and how God works through the story of Christmas, how he works in our lives, how he works through us. Uh, He delights in the dramatic. He loves to work through unlikely people, unlikely places, unlikely ways to do unlikely things. And the Christmas story is like this. You know, Christmas is heaven's D-Day. It's the moment when God invaded this planet, heaven invaded earth to bring restoration, to bring healing, to bring a solution to the fall of man. And you know what? God did it in a way completely opposed and different than how I would do it. If I was responsible for heaven's D-Day to invade earth, to bring goodness and grace back to earth, I would have come in force. I would have had all the mighty morphin power rangers with me, right? Mighty morphin power rangers. Anybody? Anybody? I'm having fun, you guys. I would have all the G.I. Joes, right, from the cartoon. I'd have He-Man. I'd have Chuck Norris, right? Chuck Norris is so tough. You know, when Chuck Norris does a push-up, he doesn't push himself up. He pushes the world down. When Chuck Norris jumps in a lake, he doesn't get wet. The lake gets chucked. I could go all day, guys. I did it in Israel, huh? The Chuck Norris jokes, remember that? I'll stop, though. I will, because we have a timeline. I understand. Even though we could have fun with Chuck Norris, I would get Chuck, right? I would get everybody. I'd get the military. I'd have, I'd have, you know, Hannibal with, not Hannibal Lecter, but like Hannibal with the war elephants, you know? I would, I, I would do it with power and force and majesty and strength. I'd have like Led Zeppelin playing. We'd be coming in. I mean, it would be serious power. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? But God doesn't do it this way. When he invades earth, He's like, okay, we're going to get all the greatest military minds in heaven together. Let's all come up with a plan. I know. Let's send a baby. That's God's plan. Completely unlikely. Totally different than how we would do it. But here's the thing. God hides his power in weakness. God clothes his glory in the ordinary. 
God works through the unlikeliest of people, the unlikeliest of situations. He works through weakness in revealing strength. And it makes sense because when we succeed in our own strength, we get the glory. But when God brings success, when he brings victory through us in our weakness, or even despite our weakness, he gets the glory. And it makes sense that God works this way. And that's why Christmas is this totally unlikely story. Now, last week we talked about Mary and the unlikeliness of her story. And this week I want to focus in on some other characters in this story. And I want you to not romanticize the story, not, not kind of go into Hallmark card mode, you know, go into Christmassy mode and think about the story as kind of two-dimensional, but recognize that this is a historical event. Recognize that these are real people and that there were real ramifications and real things going on as we hear this story. Today I want to focus in on the shepherds. And so we're going to look at this in Luke chapter 2. You can read along with me. We'll put it on the screen. Luke chapter 2 verse 8 says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And listen to the great understatement of the Bible. They were terrified. If an angel popped out and went, boo, you know, you're going to be really scared, but it's understated here. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, see, I'm messing up my notes here. Here we go. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now, you don't see this in the English translation, but in the Greek, it's actually a rock opera. It's in the, just trust me as your pastor, you have to know the Greek here, but yeah, it's actually a rock opera how they were singing this. So that's how you have to imagine it, right? With, and electric guitars, and, you know, this is how they did it. So at this point, it is pretty powerful. That's what you need to have in your head when you read this story now. You're welcome. So they, they declare, uh, they declare this, it says, I didn't get as many laughs as, in, as I did in first service. I just want the record to show for the online people that there was uproarious laughter at that joke in first service. Just make note of that. Suddenly, he was joined, and they said, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those whom God has pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph... And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Father, we just invite you in this moment. Lord, we're having a good time today celebrating Christmas uh, talking about some funny stories. But Lord, I pray that right now as we just dig into your word, that God, we'd learn these lessons for us today, that God, we would understand that you want to work in our lives, that there's a message of Christmas that you want to get in our hearts today. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be good soil, that as your word is, is planted, they would uh, produce good fruit, Lord. It would produce good fruit in our lives, that we would leave this place different than we came in. Lord, open us up to receive what you want to do in and through us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at this story, we're talking about the shepherds. And again, I want you to kind of let go of the romanticization of this story. We've kind of looked at it. You know, we're, we're familiar with Christmas pageants and you have the shepherds. You know, the shepherds are kind of like 
if the kid isn't that good of a singer, he becomes a shepherd, right? He doesn't get to play Joseph in the play or whatever. Uh, and some of us kids were shepherds, you know, in the program, and you have issues, right, that you have to work through. Uh, but, you know, we value all the children. But you, you know the kids that are like the real, the real stars of the show are like Mary and Joseph. You know what I'm talking about? And like if you have a real cute baby, they get to play the baby Jesus. That's a huge honor. But, you know, but you know if you were as a kid were really second class, if you were like the, you, well, you're the goat. You know what I mean? You're... <laughs> Your job is to like stand in the back and you get to come out and say Merry Christmas at the end. You know, it's like a kid back here. It's a little Igor Sandor, Sanders, you know, <laughs> stand in the back. I, my jokes are good today. Online, people here live are all bummed out today, but I feel like these are next level jokes. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I'm having a good time up here. But the shepherds, really, we need to understand that the shepherd profession is not this valued job. At this time in history, being a shepherd is actually like you're a second-class citizen. This is a dishonorable profession, and you see it throughout the Old Testament. I talked about this a few weeks ago in our last series. Even when Jacob uh, goes to Israel, and his son Joseph is already there and has prepared a place for the, the, his family to come, Joseph tells his dad, he says, Dad, don't tell Pharaoh that you guys are shepherds. Tell him that you're ranchers which I get because, you know, wear a Stetson hat. That's pretty cool, coming in cowboy boots. But he actually is saying, Dad, don't, don't let them know you're shepherds because a shepherd was kind of a second-class citizen. It's almost like the trailer trash uh, trope of this time, of the first century. It's like, ah, shepherds aren't really that, that it's not a good profession. These aren't the people you're going to invite to your, like, your party. You're not, they're not the ones you want to testify in court for you. Like, this is kind of a, of a, a look-down-upon, second-class thing. And yet God decides to use them as the most unlikely uh, recipients of this message. God decides to use them as the most unlikely witnesses and then proclaimers of this message. And just like these shepherds who are really the most unlikely, God chooses us who are also the most unlikely to receive and proclaim his goodness and his purposes in the world. And so we're going to look at a couple of thoughts about the shepherds that I think are going to be meaningful for us as we go forward today. Number one, the shepherds were the first to hear the gospel. They were the first in this Christmas story to have it proclaimed to them, literally by angels singing a rock opera, like all of the angel army show up and are like, you guys are the ones that get to hear that the Savior has been born. This is a big deal. Again, lose Hallmark imagery, get into the story. These guys are just sitting around doing their job. They're not, they, don't, they don't deserve anything. They're just shepherds out in a field and God decides in his grace to bring this message to them, they're the first to hear the gospel. And here's the deal. The gospel is for unlikely people. Unlikely people. On Christmas, it was the shepherds that heard it first. When you go to Easter story, years later, it's, it's women who weren't even allowed to testify in court at this time in history that were actually the first witnesses of the resurrected Jesus that were the first ones to proclaim to Jesus' male disciples that he rose from the dead. God always does things in an upside-down way. He's looking for unlikely people to work his power through, to bring his message to. The gospel is for unlikely people. And just like these shepherds who didn't earn it, didn't deserve it, weren't the, the best candidates, were not the most qualified, were not trained, it wasn't the rabbi sitting in the temple reading the Torah that got the message, it was these unqualified shepherds. In the same way, God is looking for unqualified, unlikely people, undeserving people to share the message with even today. How many of you would go, yeah, I'm not really qualified to get it. I'm not really the most likely candidate, but I want to receive it by faith. I want to hear that message. 
Jesus said that he came to call not the righteous, not those who think they are righteous, but he says, I came to call those who know they are sinners and need to repent. In other words, the gospel comes to unlikely people, unqualified people, undeserving people. That's how it works. When you think about the grace of God, it's honestly scandalous in its nature. It's completely unfair to God that he would send Jesus to take on human form, to live his life, to, as it says in the book of Hebrews, suffer all things and be tempted in all things yet without sin, and then give his perfect life as a sacrifice for our sin. It's completely scandalous. It's completely unfair. And yet that is the message of the gospel. And it comes to unlikely people. It comes to undeserving people. And the right response for us in those moments is to say, yes, I receive it. I, I humble myself to receive this. It's interesting because fairness is such a big deal. And if you have little kids, you know that fairness is a huge deal. The other day, I think we were telling Jack that he got this, you know, his own room. And my daughter, Evie, was like, well, that's not fair. And so then, of course, I switched into when I was your age mode as a dad, right? Like, I realized this was an opportunity to teach her a lesson. <laughs> and I delight in this as a dad, right? Because this is like, you get revenge, you know, as a parent. And I said, well, Evie... It's not fair, and life isn't fair. Thanks, Dad. You know, I said, it's not fair that you have the most handsome father in Eugene. It's not fair. (laughs) I didn't say that. (laughs) But, you know, it's true. But anyways, I said, it's not fair that that other kids don't have a, a home to go to. It's not fair that you have a Nintendo Switch. It's not fair that you have a nice place to live and a mom and a dad who love you, and not every kid does. It's not fair. And I went on and on. She's like, I get it, I get it, you know, rolling her eyes. But how often do we, do we look for fairness and we look for qualification and the reality is grace is not fair, it's scandalous. And the right response to it is to receive it. You can't earn it, you can't qualify yourselves. Think about these shepherds, they're just out in the field. Who knows what they're doing? They didn't prepare themselves for this. God in his sovereignty and his grace shows up and these angel armies declare and they're the first to hear the gospel. The first response for unlikely people, the first thing And the the main thing we need to do is just to be humble and receive God's grace. Recognizing that though I am unlikely, recognizing that though I am unworthy, recognizing that though I am unqualified, I'm going to receive what God is saying to me. I'm going to receive the gospel. The second thought I want to give you is this. Not only were they the first to hear the message, to hear the gospel, these shepherds actually became the first to proclaim the gospel. The unlikeliest people to receive the good news were the very first to proclaim it. And it says in verse 14 in Luke here, it says, After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. After seeing him. You see, you have to see Jesus before you can share Jesus. Not only were they the unlikeliest to hear it, but they also then took that encounter, took that, that sight, seeing Jesus, that moment, and that's what became the basis of their sharing of the good news. Did you know that though you were unlikely to receive the gospel, and though you might feel unlikely and unworthy and unqualified to share the gospel, that's exactly what God wants to do? But it starts, with a, it starts from a place of encounter. You know, as I was praying about this message, I really felt like this was the Sesame Street sponsored word of the day, encounter. You know, this, this show brought to you by the letter R and, you know, the number four. This message is brought to you by the word encounter. And the Lord was really speaking to me about this, that, 
that we as followers of Jesus in the, in the modern era, we need to make sure that we don't get, get away from this, this moment of encountering God for real, encountering G, Jesus, seeing Jesus, and that that becomes the basis of our ministry. That becomes the basis of our, of our sharing our faith. Because we, it's very easy for us to get, to get this idea that being a Christian is just going to church, getting some religious sounding words, feeling a little bit better, singing some songs. That's not really it. When Jesus talked to the, the woman at the well in John chapter four, he said, true worshipers worship the father in spirit and in truth. So there's two aspects of the Christian faith. There's the creedal, the theological, the truth element, the doctrine, you know, the, reading the Bible, getting that truth. But then there's this supernatural encounter with God that transforms you from the inside out and true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And what we find here is that these shepherds didn't just hear hear the message and go start talking to people. They heard the message, which led them to a real encounter with Jesus. And when they had that encounter, out of that moment, they went and proclaimed. You see, maybe right now you're like, well, I just, I'm scared to, to share my faith. I, I, I'm too nervous. Well, it's probably not because you don't have enough training. It could be because you don't have enough of an encounter with God. You see, when they saw Jesus, they were never the same. When you see Jesus in life, you're never the same. I gave my life to Christ when I was four years old, and I, I prayed it, and I was sincere, four or five years old. My mom led me to, to Jesus. I remember laying down on my top bunk at Alameda Drive in Medford, Oregon. I remember that moment. She said, do you want to put your faith in Jesus? I said, yes, and I, and I prayed that prayer, and I absolutely believed that it counted, right? I believed that I was a Christian, but it wasn't until I was 15 years old that I had this radical encounter with Jesus I remember one night, my dad was on a missions trip. I've told this story before. And, and I, the, I came home really late at night from a, a party that I was at. Not like the parties that you went to, you people. No, I'm, this was like... I was just, you know. just digging yourself deeper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing. But I was at a party, uh, a Christian party, a good party, a clean party. You know, was, All we were doing there was you know, flirting with girls. Nothing, nothing out of hand. So anyways... Um, I, uh, I came home and uh, it was late at night. My mom said, hey, come in and you know, tell me wh wh how you're doing and stuff. And I, I, I laid down, I remember laying down on the bed and I all of a sudden just had this overpowering conviction of my sin and some things that had been going on in my life and not the stuff happening at the party in case anyone's wondering. But just this overwhelming conviction and I had this real encounter with Christ where I knew God was real. I knew, uh, I knew there was a call in my life. I knew there were, that there was sin in, in me that, that I needed to be saved from. And I call that an adult conversion, you know, and I'm not making up new theology that you have to have two times or whatever, but just that was for me a moment of encounter. There's been various moments in my life of encountering God. You look through the scripture, there's moments where people, they hear it, they get it, they might even agree with it, but it doesn't really go from the head into the heart until you see Jesus. And this is what I want to challenge you with today, that for many people, their faith and their religion is kind of a matter of principle, maybe a matter of belief. You might even intellectually assent to the doctrines of the Christian faith, but something changes when you see Jesus for real and there's an encounter and all of a sudden you're like, I'm never the same because I've seen him, I've seen the Savior, I've seen the Lord, I've seen his glory, I'm never the same. And from that place of encounter is where there comes a moment of power and you're released in the power of the Holy Spirit to go and do everything he's called you to do. I mean, you, you see it all through scripture. 
Isaiah says, I saw the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was undone. There was a moment of encounter, and it changed him forever. Jeremiah says, man, I, I, the fire is shut up in my bones. I have to speak. I can't not speak God's word. I'm compelled. It, it, the fear gets burned away by the passion that comes when you've seen Jesus, and he becomes your one uh, singular pursuit. But it comes from a place of encounter. I want to challenge you that if your faith and your, your worship and your life, your, your spiritual life is a little bit dead or a little bit cold, we all get there. That's okay. That's how it goes in life. But you need to get to that place every morning and say, God, I want to have a fresh encounter. I want to have a fresh touch of your presence. I want to see Jesus because I know that when I see Jesus, it changes everything. And, I, and I'm going to talk about this more. But this is the key thing that these guys, it was after seeing the unlikeliest people in the world, the unlikeliest people in this story to receive the message, they saw Jesus and that changed something in them and then they went out and proclaimed it. And I want to challenge all of us that we need to pursue this moment of encounter, really seeing Jesus. Because then what happened out of this is they go and proclaim this message and people are astonished by it. People will be astonished when you proclaim what God has done in your life when it comes from a place of encounter, not just a place of like, hey, I go to church and I guess I agree with the Christian stuff or whatever. No, I've seen Jesus and it changed me forever. That message carries some weight, carries some power. Before the disciples, before the church, before Paul and the apostles carried the gospel around the world, it was this ragtag band of rejects. These shepherds, so unlikely, but because they saw Jesus, they were able to share the news. The beautiful thing that God does is he entrusts unlikely people just like you, just like me, to carry the greatest message in the world. The Apostle Paul says later in scripture that we carry this treasure in earthen vessels. Isn't it a miracle? Isn't it amazing? And isn't it humbling that God would take your insecurity, your brokenness, your flaws, your idiosyncrasies and mine, and yet he would choose to allow his gospel and his glory to inhabit, to let his spirit inhabit us and, and that we get to carry that message to the world, even in our brokenness. Why does God do it this way? Because he gets the glory when this happens. But it starts with an encounter of seeing Jesus. So they were the unlikeliest to receive it, the unlikeliest to receive it, and then the unlikeliest to proclaim it. And then we see something that they were changed forever, that the shepherd's response was worship. It says that the shepherds went back to their flocks glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. When you have an encounter with Christ, when you receive the gospel, you have a real encounter with Jesus, what happens is that you are ruined forever to pursue any of the cheap imitations this world has to offer for the true King of Kings and his glory. And it transforms you into a person of worship. Listen, worship, that, that word, it comes from Old English. It actually is two words, worship. It means to ascribe worth, to ascribe value. Worship isn't just coming up and singing songs on Sunday. That's a part of it. But worship is a lifestyle, and it comes from a place of authentic encounter with Christ where we've seen him and we can't unsee. You ever hear somebody say that? Well, I can't unsee that. That's what needs to happen in a positive way with God, where we really see him and it transforms us forever and we're wrecked and ruined because everything of this world looks dim and dull and, and not the same as the glory that we see in Christ. 
that's what a person who has seen Jesus, what happens to them. They respond in worship. Once you've seen Jesus, you can't just go back to the way you were. Jesus tells a parable about a man who was on a, a search for, a, and he found in a field a pearl of great price. And he went and sold everything he had, bought that field, and got that pearl of great price. And he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what a real Jesus follower finds out, that in everything in life is just a cheap imitation. Once you find the real thing, you can't unsee it. You can't go back to the way you were, and now he becomes your great desire. He becomes the treasure of your heart. Jesus becomes the passionate pursuit of your life, and nothing can stand in the way of that. These shepherds were transformed by this encounter with Jesus, and so I want to ask you today, is there a freshness in your relationship with God? Is there a passion? Or has the world kind of come in and clouded and you know, cluttered up that, that response in our spirit? I was talking about this in first service, but you know that weird week in between Christmas and New Year's? Yes. It's like that. Your, your brain's all clouded because you've eaten things you shouldn't have eaten and you've eaten too much of it. You hung out with a bunch of people. You, know, you played Risk like four times in a row. <laughs> You played Monopoly till four in the morning and you don't know why and now you're a brother and you won't talk and you know, it's like, <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna have a turkey sandwich and I'm gonna put vegetables on it and you never do that the rest of the year. Like you never would eat a turkey sandwich with celery on it in June but you do it in the end of December and your brain is just foggy and cloudy. You know what I'm talking about? And this is a lot, for a lot of people, this is how their spiritual life is all the time. Jesus talks about the, the parable of the sower who planted the seed and the cares of this world grow up like weeds and they choke out the seed. How often does our affluence and our entertainment and our prejudices and our pursuit of wealth and relationships and pleasure and our pain and all kinds of things that sort of grows up and it gives us a very tangled, very full life and our freshness for God just isn't there. Maybe we're still going to church. We're still doing our good duty. People ask you how you're doing. And you're like, I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm doing good. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, hallelujah, you know, whatever. And it just becomes going through the motions. This happens in marriage. This happens in parenting. This happens with our work, doesn't it? And it happens in our relationship with God. And what needs to take place is a fresh encounter with Jesus where all the weeds and all the cobwebs and everything gets blown away. And it's just you right back there at that place of first love, that place of of that first oil, that, the, the first time when God lit your heart on fire. And maybe you're here today and you're like, well, that's never happened for me. Well, then pursue it and ask God to give you that fresh encounter where it becomes real to you, where he reveals himself to you and you see Jesus maybe for the first time. But if you've seen him for the first time, guess what? It doesn't stop there. Every day we need to wake up and pursue Jesus and pursue that place of encounter and respond in worship. Are you fresh in your love for the Lord? It's not to be condemning, because the answer that I give oftentimes is, no, I'm not fresh, I'm stagnant, I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm distracted, I'm discouraged. And you know what, what I need to do? Go right back to the source. Go right back to the fresh water of life, the presence of God. Get into worship. I want to encourage you every day to pursue that freshness in your relationship with the Lord. Another question is this, have we allowed the true meaning of Christmas to get clouded and, and just become, you know, kind of a, a story that we read and not recognize this was God showing up in the most unlikely of ways to do something incredible. I want to give you just three takeaways today, and then you can go beat all the other churches to the best takeout food. You can't go to the restaurants, but I guess you can go to a long time Trudy. Isn't she open? Yes. We should probably go help her out. What's that? 
No, I'm not saying anything bad. My wife is like, don't get in trouble. All right, redact that from the record. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Um, go help along came Trudy. I don't even know where it is. Okay, anyways. Uh, three things you can do. Three things to take away from this. Number one, receive the good news of Jesus, no matter how unlikely you may be. You know, many times we hear the gospel. Maybe you, you haven't given your life to Christ yet and you're here today or watching on replay uh, or watching live here with us. Um, many times we sort of disqualify ourselves from even receiving it. It's like, well, I'm not worthy and I, 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 I'm, I, you know, I'm not the right person for this. Well, welcome to the club. The gospel's scandalous to all of us and we need to take that posture of humility. Maybe you've already given your life to Jesus. You're already a Christian. Hear it again. Hear the gospel again and say, man, that is for me. I am trusting in Jesus for my salvation. I'm receiving that good news. Number two, share it with others. No matter how unqualified you may feel, no matter how unlikely it may seem, no matter how, how you might feel under-equipped or whatever, just say, look, if, if he gave it to me, then I'm going to give it out to others. I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to share from that place of encounter what Jesus has done for me. And then number three, let's worship the Lord and let our lives be an act of worship. Let's get to that place of encounter every day. I want to challenge us as a church that, you know, it's not easier to be a Christian at, at the end of 2020 uh, right now. Uh, it was easier at the beginning of 2020. There's a lot of things that have taken place and I believe it's going to get maybe even a little bit harder to be a Christian. And that means that we have to stay fresh and focused in our life of worship, I want to encourage you every day to read your Bible and pray. Oh, well, you always say that. Yeah, it's because it always matters. It's kind of like brushing your teeth. You should do it every day. Come on. Well, it's just the basics. Right. You know the difference between a major league baseball player and a little leaguer is how they do the fundamentals. Because little leaguers throw, they hit, they run around the bases, they catch the ball. A major league baseball player playing in the World Series does the exact same things but they do it more consistently, more precisely. You don't ever graduate from the basics. We need to be disciplined and we need to be consistent. And as followers of Jesus, even with, with church being limited and different things, you can't just depend on only Sunday morning to be your time to get filled up and refreshed. Every day, drink deeply of the well of the Holy Spirit. Every day, uh, get into the word. Every day, get into prayer. Listen to worship music and stay fresh and passionate in your relationship with Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. And as the old hymn says, and the things of this world grow strangely dim, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus every single day and let our life be an act of worship. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I thank you so much for every person here today in the room and those joining online, those that might be watching on replay later this week. God, I just pray right now for a fresh touch of your spirit. That Lord, even as these shepherds were so unlikely, we know that we are unlikely. We are the last ones that that should expect or, or receive grace, and yet you gave it to us. That, Lord, maybe we're the most unqualified, the unlikeliest to proclaim, but you've put your truth in us, and you've asked us to share it with the world. And, Lord, I pray that we would be worshipers in spirit and in truth, that from that encounter with you, as we see you, Jesus, for real, as we see you, and it's not just passe, and it's not just duty, and it's not just religion, but it's, it's real relationship, it's authentic, God that we would live a life of worship, that we would burn for you, God, that we'd have passion for you, passion for you in our words, passion in our thoughts, passion in our behaviors, passion in our relationships, God, that comes from that place of encounter. Bless your people today, Lord. We love you. We thank you that you came to this planet 2,000 years ago. Heaven invaded earth 
to bring all your goodness, your grace, your glory on display in the most unlikeliest of ways. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to give an opportunity for anybody here in the room, anyone joining us online. Every week people come to church looking for hope, for life, for answers. And what you're really looking for is a relationship with Jesus. And so we give an opportunity just to make this a marking moment and say, I'm going to, from this day forward, I'm going to put my trust and faith in Jesus and what he did for me at the cross. I'm not going to disqualify myself because of my sin or try to qualify myself because of my good works. I'm going to lay myself down and just trust in Jesus. And if that's you, whether you're online or in the room today, I just ask that you would pray this prayer with me in faith and put your trust in Jesus. Let's pray it together. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. I know that I've not lived up to your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with you. I give you my life and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.